Our guest for this episode is Holly Tesca. Holly brings over 25 years of experience in business leadership, executive coaching, change management, and talent development. She's a recognized global thought partner in executive coaching and is an award-winning sales professional and a seasoned operations leader earlier in her career. She brings a cross-functional perspective and a systems thinking approach to achieve business results through people. Currently, Holly offers leadership and executive coaching through her firm, Holly M. Tesca Coaching and Consulting, and she's the co-creator and co-host of the Uplifting Women podcast, which you can find at www.upliftingwomen.net. You can listen to that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. And you can connect with Holly through her website, hollytesca.com or holly at upliftingwomen.net. Join me in welcoming Holly. Hi, Holly. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It is my pleasure. I have been so looking forward to this conversation. And over here where I am uh, today, it's a it's a beautiful summer morning here in the in the Finger Lakes region of New York. And how are things where you are? Well, I live just west of Milwaukee. It is a very ugly, dreary, rainy day. Uh, which is okay. We are supposed to get, I think, almost two inches of rain, they're predicting. But it's been very dry here. I know other parts of the country have experienced the extremes. Um, We're one of the dry extremes here this year. My grass looks horrible. So uh, I'm grateful for the rain, and I know the farmers are. But I have to I have to go out today and I'm thinking, oh, I hate going out in the rain. Oh, my goodness. Well, I I hope it clears up a little bit so you can get out and not have to tackle all of that. Well, thank you. Yeah, you bet. Well, you know, I, I, I there are a whole host of reasons why I've been looking forward to this conversation. And, and before we kind of dive into that, I'm just curious, what is it that you've been working on lately or or working toward that might be of interest? Well, um, John, as you know, I, too, have a podcast, Uplifting Women, and I co-host that with a a very good friend of mine by the name of Kristen Strunk, and we are in the midst of doing some work around shifting our focus, um, not so much moving away from Uplifting Women, but in our next season, we want to push toward highlighting more um, advocacy and how we can help support advocacy. So we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of um, ramping up our website. And I'm pretty sure we are going to go live on an internet radio show after the first of the year as well to try to expand our listenership, etc. So it's been a lot of exciting times. And um, yeah, stay tuned for 2024. There's some good stuff coming. I'm not going to spoil it. I, I can't wait. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the live internet radio show. So maybe we can chat about that a, another time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, I, I love the sound of that. So what, when you created this podcast, Uplifting Women, which is a, a topic that is near and dear to my heart, what, what was your inspiration for, for moving in that direction? Well, we started the podcast in 2021, so we were still 
in the midst of the pandemic and all that that meant, you know, kids working from home, parents working from home, um, you know, trying to keep them in school as much as possible in a variety of ways. And uh, my daughter-in-law is a teacher. God bless her. Um, she taught in person and online simultaneously for most of the pandemic. So, you know, and I know many teachers did, so hats off to all of them for that courageousness. But I was also very troubled by the the influx of women leaving the workforce without any, you know, most without any thought about personal sacrifice to stay home and take care of children and their learning needs, as well as maybe um, adult parents of theirs who were struggling health-wise or getting on in years. And I think at the height of the pandemic, there was an estimate of like 4 million women having had left the workplace. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it was crazy. And I was just feeling really bad about that whole scenario and thinking about women's roles historically throughout time. Um, you know, lots of people who are younger than us, younger than me in particular, um, weren't aware that women, women couldn't even get a credit card without their father or husband signing for them prior to 1978, you know. And then there's so many things that have occurred in the last 50 years that I was feeling like are being forgotten about what we've done in the women's movement, trying to get greater equality for women across the board. And I just had this need to let's have some women on talk about their story because everybody has a story and those stories are important. And storytelling is what helps us remember our past and what also helps fuel us into the future. So that was what I was feeling at the time. And I really hadn't planned on having a co-host, but Kristen and I, throughout the pandemic, we would make a regular routine about once a month to get together for a late afternoon glass of wine and just connect because that was the only way people were connecting at that point. Right. And I was telling her about this idea and I looked at her and I, I'm like, Kristen, you have to do this with me. You would be the perfect co-host. And she was like, I'm all in. And the rest is kind of history, John. <laughs> So uh, what an incredible story. Uh, th thank you so much for, for sharing that. Can we chat about this topic for just a few more moments? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, and I'm just reminded because yesterday I was driving home uh, through a, a community called Seneca Falls in New York, which is the home of really in many ways, the women's rights movement, if you will, there's a women's rights park there. And uh, a lot of the people, you know, uh, uh, Elizabeth uh, Staten uh, mm -hmm. did a lot of work there, as well as Susan B. Anthony. And so there's a lot of history there around women's, women's rights. And, you know, when I think about how I have operated in this world, particularly in a corporate environment, as someone who is now uh, upper middle aged white male growing up in that world, what is it that from your experience, people like me who like to think of themselves as allies of, of, 
uplifting women, what is it that you feel like people like me can do to be more active in, in that space? Well, one thing I think is just not, not being silent. When you see instances of women being put at a disadvantage, you know, sometimes I think what happens is unintentional. People don't really think about it. You know, I'm not out there pointing fingers at folks and saying, you know, you're not treating women respectfully or you're not treating, you're not, in, in, you know, bringing them into the workplace in with the same level of um, engagement. You're not, you know, there's so many things. And to j- some, some people just sit by and idly watch it. You know, I'm reminded of a, of a time my husband and I were out for dinner um, a few years back, and this is probably almost 10 years at this point. But we were sitting at the bar and um, having a sandwich, and there was a guy at the bar who was just harassing this poor bartender. And she's the sweetest thing ever, you know, Southern-born, delightful, would never sass back. And this guy reached out and touched her, you know, in the the place where you would expect a (laughs) bartender. And I just looked at him and I'm like, listen, Neanderthal, get your hands, put your hands to yourself. Stop being so disrespectful. And everybody at that bar just looked at me and looked at him and it was, you know, my. I think my husband had a shocking moment, like, oh, my God, is this the beginning of a bar fight? <laughs> and, yeah, I was so upset about that afterwards. And, um, you know, when we got in the car and we were talking on the way home, I said to my husband, you know, that is so not right. That is so not right. What gives anybody the right to do that? And he was like, I was just worried we were going to get into a bar fight. And I'm like, no. <laughs> When I see things like that, I have to stand up for it. And that was kind of, you know, I think everybody, when we see things that don't fit, we just need to make sure that we're prepared to stand to, to stand up for that individual or stand up for ourselves. Um, because if we just allow it to happen and let it continue, that's what's going to continue. Thank you for that. So uh, it- it sounds like a lot of your advice, at least to me, is speak up more, mm-hmm. see things. And, you know, and I think that's a, a an excellent observation. You know, throughout my career, I, you know, I think like a lot of people, it's, it's sort of that unconscious bias, right? You know, I, I reflect back and think about meetings that I have chaired and held where maybe I wasn't as invitational as I could have been, or, or maybe didn't focus enough on drawing people in who maybe were introverted or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of sitting on the periphery. And so I think, you know, just acknowledging those sorts of things makes a big difference. And, you know, for me personally, having conversations with people like you is enormously helpful in kind of keeping me on track. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. And, you know, John, I would say, we need to do that for anyone, not just women. You know, clearly there are other people that are marginalized or, you know, bullied, whatever. You know, I just, we, we don't need that in the world. We, we don't, we just don't need it. So having the courage to just stand up and, um, you know, hold somebody in respect and invite them to the conversation or make sure that they're safe. I mean, I think that's a job we all need to take on. 
I wholeheartedly agree. And this is a perfect segue into our topic for today, which is really, you mentioned it a little earlier, it's advocacy. And I, what I'd like to do, if you're okay with it, is just share a, a quick little personal story uh, that involves you. Yeah. Right? So, uh, I, I think I know the story. So, so, so for our audience, if you're not comfortable with it, this, this won't appear. So uh, if you're listening to this, then you're going to get the story. So, you know, you probably remember a few months back or, well, it's probably longer ago than that. It's probably a little over a year ago, I guess. Uh, we were in an, uh, a meeting with the Association for Corporate Executive Coaches, which we are both a member, and we were having conversations. This was right after uh, Russia had invaded Ukraine, and you brought up the topic of should we as an association have a, a stand on this? Should we make a statement about this? And my response was basically the slippery slope argument. Right. Well, you know, if we do that, then where does that kind of end? And are we going to have a stand on everything? And that was sort of my point of view at the time. And, you know, after that conversation and after that meeting ended, uh, you know, I have done a, an unusual amount of reflection about that specific conversation. And, you know, my I've started to shift a little bit from that prior uh point of view. And actually, in some ways, I was a little troubled by my own kind of reaction to that, which is a, a bit of a separate topic. But I think the basic question for me is, you know, from your point of view as someone who is clearly an advocate and, and clearly doesn't have a lot of challenges, at least observable challenges, speaking out on issues, when should individual coaches Let's start there. When should individual coaches take a stand on an issue publicly? Well, number one, John, you know, I, I think when we had that conversation, um, as you mentioned, this was shortly after the initial invasion of the U of, of Ukraine by Russia. And, you know, I was feeling at that point in time, how dare they? Hmm. You know, how dare they do this? Now, I've worked with organizations that clearly they don't want to cross that line uh, of say of of taking a stand. And I'm sure it's partly driven by fear. You know, if I take a stand, who am I going to irritate? Who am I going to, uh, which of my customers aren't going to want to work with me because I've taken a stand and it might be the opposite stand that they would take. But, you know, when I look at something that affects such a large group of people that have really no control, and it was so blatantly um, uncalled for, you know, I just, I, my personal values will not allow me to stand back and, and just look the other way while this is going on. I, I just, I can't. So, you know, as an individual coach, I have to stand for what I truly believe to be my core values and what the way I think that people should treat one another and what's fair and what's just. And I hope that that doesn't um, cost me customers, but if it does, I, I can't sell myself out for something that I don't believe in. So for you, it really does come back to 
found the foundation of your personal values. That's right. Yeah. You know, so is, how does that, if you don't mind exploring that with me for, for just a moment here, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, how does that show up in your, I mean, is this some, for example, let's just use uh, Russia invading Ukraine for a moment. Does that, for example, show up on your website or show up in your coaching or anything else? Or is it just a position that you hold that you feel strongly about? And if it comes up, it's something that you're willing to address. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I mean, I've not gone out and put, you know, any statement on the website or anything, but, you know, I'm, I'm completely open to talking about it as I am with you today. Um, You know, if somebody were to ask me, I have to be true to the way that I feel. Otherwise, you know, if I'm not authentic to myself, how can I help others? How can I help my coaches be authentic to themselves, right? It's a matter of, and it's, when I say that, it's not just about, you know, big social issues. I mean, it's everything across the board in your life. Right. You don't get to pick and choose. Oh, I want to be authentic here, but not there. <laughs> right, right. You know, you either are or you're not. Yeah. You know, so sort of that line, you know, so here's an example, just more of a personal example, I guess. I, I feel I have been a strong supporter for the last 15 years or so of the human rights campaign. They promote uh, anti-discrimination efforts against LGBTQ communities, and I've supported them financially and in a whole host of other ways. And it's something I feel very strongly about. And at the same time, it's not something that I promote or tell people about. And I often wonder if it's something that I should now, clearly I'm doing that right now, Uh but there's nothing on my website necessarily or anything on my LinkedIn profile. Although on my LinkedIn profile, if you look carefully enough, you'll find that I provide free coaching services for people who need that, who are in that community and are, and are suffering in some way. So I just wonder, what's your opinion about that? Do you feel like people like me who have these strongly held beliefs should make those beliefs public? Just your opinion. Well, I mean, do you need to have a flashing banner across your website that says that? I don't think so. I mean, John, you're you're a humble individual. I think you're very authentic. I think you have a good heart. I think the fact that when those needs arise, you just quietly and humbly tend to them speaks volumes about you. You know, I'm not creating, I don't want to take a position for or against something that I think is going to look like I'm waving the flag on this and making a big deal of it. Mm. You know, gifts to other people that are truly from the heart and given for their benefit, I don't feel the need to be congratulated for that, rewarded for it. You know, as a matter of fact, I do things for people all the time, and they'll say to me, oh, my God, how can I possibly repay you? And my answer always is, don't worry about repaying me. That That's not why I do this. 
you know, sometime in the future, pay it forward to someone else. It's not really, about the glory. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and I think, you know, I, I really appreciate that. And I think that touches to something that, uh, at least for me personally, in that, in this space, kind of this advocacy, wanting to be an ally and kind of letting, you know, in a quiet or a, a loud way, letting people know that. I, I think you've touched on something that's important to me. And that is, you know, f- I'm not, one who likes to draw a lot of attention to myself. And so maybe that quiet way of doing it is is probably more appropriate for me as opposed to other people who, again, they may have a flashing banner across their webpage, and that may be a significant part of, of how they carry that message. Exactly. And that's not for me to judge. Yeah. You know, uh, I judge me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank thank you for that. And, and I spend plenty of time judging me, so it's all good. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. Well, you know, if we could just move it up a notch here for, for just a moment and think a little bit about organizations. So we are both members of organizations and, you know, the Association for Corporate Executive Coaches. I'm a member of the International Coach Federation. I'm loosely affiliated with a number of other organizations that I do subcontracting work through and other sorts of things. So as organizations, where do you think the line is there? Because when we were having this original conversation, it wasn't really about us as individuals. It was about our organization, our association, and should we collectively be taking a stand? So what are what is your sense about whether organizations should or shouldn't? And if they should, how can they sort of start advocating for the things that are important to them? Well, you know, I think you're once you're part of an organization that wants to take a stand, you're walking out on a little thinner ice, right? Because all of your members may or may not be aligned um, on the thinking, right? So I would hope that people align with organizations, whether it's a company that you work for or an association that you belong to. I would hope that people would join where the culture feels like a good fit, right? If if the value system of any kind of an organization is significantly different than your own, I question whether that's a good fit in the first place, right? But I think you also have to take into account how others within that organization may or may not feel. And um, it's kind of a you know, like if you had if you had a company that had 20 people in it, for example, John, and 18 people felt just the way you felt about a topic um, and two people didn't. What would you do? Yeah. That's hard. To, uh, that's a tough one. Well, exactly, because I don't want to. I don't want to disengage those two folks that may have a different opinion or a different view. And their view comes from their structure of interpretation of the world, right? All the things that have brought them to the point that they are right now. And for me to say their their feelings don't count, I don't know that I don't know that that sits well with me. Right. Yeah, I can see that. So, it, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I hear a lot of different things. And, and, you know, this 
became really prominent, at least with people that I work with, particularly in the aftermath of, of the George Floyd mm-hmm. murder, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of the, you know, should organizations take a stand? Shouldn't they take a stand, et cetera? And so uh, to me, it's, it, it continues to be sort of this open question with, a, you know, all of these different tentacles to it. For example, there are certain stores, certain commercial operations that I have made a decision, at least for the time being, to not patronize. Mm-hmm. Because they have a stand on a particular issue, or are actually believe it feels kind of hypocritical to say this, but they're actually not speaking out in the way that I think that they should about particular mm-hmm. issues, and, and so I think it's just really tough for organizations to make those kinds of decisions. I, I agree with you, and I have to say that I too have shied away from certain um, establishments and organizations and supporting them just because. The viewpoint is very different, but I think we, you know, kind of the way the vote is, you know, if you don't vote, you don't have a, in my mind, you don't have a right to complain, right? When you patronize an organization in a sense, that's a vote for or against them. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, so I, I, I'm not a huge advocate of wearing all of this on my sleeve. However, in my own way, I have to stay true to what I believe um, is true for me and, and how I need to operate in life. And I, you know, I, it's not for everybody. I acknowledge that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who probably wouldn't even want to take the stand that I have taken on some of the issues and some of the things that we talk about on our podcast too, you know, and remember while the George Floyd incident happened in Minnesota, you know, I live right outside of Milwaukee, one of the most segregated um, communities in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've borne witness to an awful lot of right, you know, strife between the African American community and the white community in Milwaukee, and that's always um, on the verge of exploding. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, you are right there in the middle of it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I truly believe we all have a responsibility to all of humankind to make the world a better place than what it is currently. And that may sound a little bit Pollyanna-ish, but that's what my heart says. Well, I love Pollyanna. (laughs) One of my favorite milieus. (laughs) <laughs> well, you, you know, it, it, it sounds a lot like what it sounds a lot like your point of view really is in many ways. You know, what is fundamental to my own value system? Exactly. And that value system is going to drive, you know, how I show up and it's going to drive, at least I hope it will drive the organizations that I'm a member of, et cetera. Uh, and so th- there's a little bit of a cascading uh, from that perspective. Exactly. And if it doesn't always follow the direction that I want it to, that's okay. Because again, I have to have respect for the fact that other people think differently. They interpret the world differently. They had different experiences throughout their life that frame the way that they think about things. I mean, I, I feel, John, it's just an opportunity for continued dialogue and trying to understand one another. And, you know, going back to our topic of the Ukraine. Um, 
you know, I mean, I, I've really, I've really over the last year and a half tried to understand why does this happen? Why, why, why did this happen? Why is it still continuing? And what is the net gain from, from this? And I, I just, I'm dumbfounded. I, you know, to me, Putin seems like another Hitler, just yeah. a different age. It, it, it's, it's really baffling in many ways. And, you know, when you were saying that it, it reminded me of the, I had an overwhelming sentiment when I was watching, uh, the Ken Burns documentary, uh, a few years back around Vietnam. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was. And so part of what I was struck by with all that is, is how is it possible that people can hate one another so much? And that was just the overwhelming sentiment that I I got from that. And just the whole uh, invasion of Ukraine and all of these other uh, instances all around the world, it just continually come back to that. that. it just feels like so much more compassion and love is needed in this world. Yeah, it, you're you're absolutely spot on. And the problem is that that divide continues to get bigger and bigger instead of smaller. And it has a lot to do with resources and wealth and poverty. And, you know, we, we live in an amazing world. You know, think about, you know, just the things that have happened in the last hundred years to bring us to the point that we are right now, there's plenty to go around. Yeah. I'm not sure, you know, what it will take um, to even the playing field. We certainly won't see it in our lifetimes, but it just, it makes me sad to your point. Where does all this hate come from? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I have been, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've been on this bit of a quest over the last several years or so, kind of starting right around the beginning of the pandemic in many ways, around thinking more deeply about how I express love, mm-hmm. the love for the work that I do, or, you know, when I say things like, I really love having a conversation with Holly, for example, mm-hmm. well, what is it that I really love about that? And how does that come through? So it just, when we think about kind of the opposite of hate, if we, if we were to, to define that as love, what do you see as a way that you're able to express love in, in the work that you do and the difference that you're trying to make? Wow, that's a deep question, John. Um, I think I've always seen myself as a helper. That's kind of how I'm wired. And I think the way that I express love is in extending help to others, whatever that happens to be. So, um, you know, I don't know what your listeners' faith base is or whatever, but to me, the two greatest commandments are love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for me, the love God piece is that's easy. Um, I think we all struggle with love thy neighbor and what that means (laughs) on a daily basis. Right. And I keep trying to get better at it. Yeah, I, I can absolutely relate to that is for me, it's often the, you know, how can I 
how can I find a place of love in my heart for the people that I vehemently disagree with or that are kind of on the opposite spectrum for me? And, you know, again, kind of going back to that word of Pollyanna for just a minute, I, I, I think that does kind of feel and sound a little Pollyanna in many ways. But really, if I stop and think about it for a moment, you know, if I can express love or find a place of love in my heart for my neighbor, you know, whatever their uh, point of view may be, the beneficiary of that really is me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It brings me peace and brings me a sense of contentment and feeling like I'm making a bit of a difference in the world. It may or may not ever impact the recipient or or my target for that, if you Mm -hmm. know what I mean. Right. But at the end of the day, John, you're only responsible for you in this world. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's it's kind of like when you get on a plane, put your own mask on first before assisting <laughs> others. Right. You know, so if you don't get it right for yourself, how can you get it? How can you help others um, and be effective at it? You know, I use I use this um, in my coaching consistently, especially when there is conflict going on with my coachee and some other, you know, team member, or, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I understand that you, you dislike this individual, you don't respect them for whatever reason, you don't agree with them. Um, Can you be curious about what that's about? Can you be curious to understand them better? And can you exercise compassion in doing that? Because you don't know, you don't know what they're going through, right? You don't know their world. You may have make some assumptions about things that you see or whatever, but you've not lived their life. So to be to judge others, you know, you need you need to exhibit some compassion to say, hey, I don't understand you, I don't get you, I don't agree with you. But I recognize that I'm not working from the same playbook that you are. So help me to understand better. And that's where the curiosity comes into play. Am I perfect at it? Oh, my God, no. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never be perfect at it, nor will my coaches, right? But I do feel as though it opens up the world to try to understand. And going back to Russia and Ukraine, you know, that's kind of how I'm approaching this and trying to wrap my own mind around it. You know, I've, I don't live in Russia, never even been there, to be honest. I don't know what it's like to be Russian. I don't know how they view the rest of the world. Um, They may feel threatened by the rest of the world. If that's the case, you know, their response is human. You know, we have a fight or flight (laughs) that's built into us um that goes back to the beginning of time so you know from that perspective i have to say well if they truly feel threatened that there's a problem that they're in danger well then that's a normal response to this so how do we help them not feel you know like they're in danger yeah right and, and that as you're describing that holly the the image of the old iceberg picture comes up for me. Oh God. Yeah. Right. The yeah, iceberg I mean, of ignorance. I call yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is just so much below the surface that we're not shown. 
that we don't ask about or to your point that we're not even curious about. We're mm-hmm. just sort of focused on what we see in front of us. And, and maybe at least for me, uh, trying to make some sense out of things that feel kind of nonsensical, maybe it's an opportunity to simply set aside what I think I see and maybe explore a little bit more curiosity and, and maybe even check my assumptions at the door in doing that. Yeah. It's just, it's so necessary in this world. What is it that we're assuming? How do we get greater clarity? How do we have some compassion for the other side's life, plight, whatever, you know, it is? We don't walk around in their shoes. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I'll mention here is, you know, when I can put myself in that sort of mindset, if you will, of suffering in some ways, it does seem to help a bit. So when I think about suffering means that is any time that I want things to be different from what they are. Mm-hmm. Right? I, so it's the kind of the opposite of equanimity, right? It's, I want that noise to go away. I want this feeling to go away, et cetera. So when I'm in that space, I'm suffering. And I, I, I if I can think about other people from a compassionate perspective and think, well, you know, part of why they're behaving this way may be because there's some suffering that's going on. It does at least help me make a little bit more sense out of what I'm experiencing. Absolutely. And I think it opens our minds to the possibility that there is a way to reconcile and figure out how to live peacefully together, but we just need to understand one another so much better than we do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Holly, this feels like a a good place for us to start wrapping up. What do you think? I couldn't agree more, John. I think it's been a really good conversation. Thank you very much. I, I know that you are getting ready to go out on an extended uh, little rest and recharge adventure. Uh, are you excited about that? <laughs> I absolutely am. It's uh, it's time. You know, usually when when we vacation uh, in country, you know, it's kind of like I, I work and vacation at the same time, which I'm sure you do as well yeah. by the nature of our work. But you know, once a year we do try to completely unplug, and this is this is my completely unplug time, which always feels really energizing. And I remember last year coming back from this time, and I think it, it, we 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 did it about the same time of year. I think the glow lasted until Christmas, to be honest. Nice. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> typical vacations, you come back and day two, you wonder, did I did I just have a vacation? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the glow again. Hopefully I'll get the glow. <laughs> Very nice. And and let's let's hope that it carries you at, at least through the holiday season. I've got my fingers crossed, John. It's yeah. always a pleasure to spend time with you and think about some of these deep topics. So again, thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, I, I hope your listeners find it to be a, an interesting conversation. Absolutely. Well, Holly, thank you so very much. I really appreciate you joining us and we'll look forward to connecting with you soon. Awesome. Have a great day. All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I so appreciate having had this conversation with Holly. And I continue to contemplate and think about the implications of speaking out 
as a leader and what that means and who that may impact and how to actually go about that. If you have thoughts or would like to continue this conversation, please connect with me on LinkedIn. This, I think, is a very valuable topic and very timely and will continue to be one that at least I will struggle with, think about, and contemplate more. And perhaps as you picked up from the conversation, since Holly broached this topic with me several months back, it continues to be something that's front of mind for me. I hope it is for you as well. Thank you for joining us today, and I look forward to connecting with you very soon.